After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. So funny, Dave. Here we are. It's one, two, buckle my shoe. One, two, three, buckle my feet. (laughs) One, two, two, three, strain my pee for kidney stones. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Do they have to strain it? Yeah, Yeah, of course you do. You need to find out what it's made of. You know, it's like, is it calcium oxalate? Then don't be drinking milk. Hey, everybody out there. uh, This is David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell and me. We're hanging out, Raghu. And we're talking about David's kidney stone, which the whole of Facebook was quite aware of what was going on while it was going on, actually. A real-time kidney stone process by a a group, a a satsang. Exactly. Exactly. That's why that's why we need the satsang. I've heard. I, when I get my kidney stone, I hope y'all are there for me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so, uh, Duncan, I was telling uh, David a little bit about our idea about uh, picking oh, up on cre- the huh? What was our idea? Oh, the book. The Not the, the book idea. idea. What was the other idea? Oh, overthrowing the government. Whatever. It's another podcast. That was the first podcast. We got through that, though. I think we did okay with that. Oh, uh, I hate to diverge, but as I was waiting for you guys, I saw this terrible news item. Ruth Ginsburg was just operated on for uh, lung cancer. Oh, my God. And and if you, I don't know if you have seen the movie RGB, uh, RBG, rather. Have you? you? RBG. It's it's uh, it's a doc on on uh, Ruth Ginsburg, the Supreme Court justice. It is fantastic. I can't more highly recommend a doc. I heard it. Yeah, and by the end of it, you're like, oh my god, please don't die, please don't don't. <laughs> She's all that's standing. This wisp of a woman is all that's standing between us and total destruction. Is the kind of feel you get after you watch this movie. Anyhow, she, Ginsburg, that's probably why she feels bad. That must be a terrible feeling to be the the the, the thing preventing dis- the destruction of everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bit of a load, but uh, she'll get through it. Now, uh, back to our little project, which is about how to deal with this constant obsession with me, each one of us, and especially in this climate, in this uh, polarized climate that's beyond polarized at this point, uh, the us and them. And uh, and I, 
so I found something that since we've taken this thing, Duncan and I, from Krishnadas, he wants a royalty, by the way, uh, the movie of me. I found he something. He wants a royalty for using the movie of me, his oh. thing. <laughs> That's his thing. Yeah. You actually can't copyright a name, but go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, yep. can you be our lawyer, actually? I, I, I can't. I've been, you know, 45 years in the music business. I certainly can. Yes, you can. Yeah. Um, I want to read something that he wrote that really hits to the point of what I want to talk about with everybody today. Um, and he said, we have a completely incorrect view of things all the time, which is me as the center of the universe. The whole feeling of being separate from the universe is called maya, illusion. The body is like a house that's been put together by temporary causes and conditions. All we know is what we conceive of with our five senses and the jumble we make out of that with our minds. These great beings are just not locked up in that room like we are. And referring to great beings, we're referring to the Buddha. We're referring to, for our own experience, he and I, uh, Maharaji. We're locked up in the room of thought, the prison of thought and emotions. We're locked up. That's all we know. We don't see things clearly and directly without all of our filters getting in the way. We go on recreating all of our painful stories all the time. <laughs> if the saints never showed us there was a way out, a different way of being, how could we know? Most people go to work, drink beer, and die, not knowing there's another way of being, a deeper love. They live and die trapped in their stuff. We want to address that at this point. We have been addressing it um, with uh, various people with uh, a number of different responses and so on. And so, David, when we were together, David and I, we were together at a friend's house and just right looking over the ocean was absolutely a beautiful place. And we started talking, which led to the idea of, of us pulling together this podcast uh, or this chat, really, more than the podcast. And it was, we were, look, we're looking for some of the antidotes to this obsession, to this gigantic uh, uh, attachment to our story and so on. And and so we look to, uh, because we have uh, been doing this retreat and we've been working with different Buddhist teachers and so on, uh, we are thinking, okay, what is the real efficacy of... Uh, there's two major teachings that I thought we might talk about today. And the one, I think, David, we were talking about um, was it not dependent origination? It, it dependent in ori dependent origination and emptiness were two concepts that are so um, highly misunderstood in my mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but, and I mean by not just people who aren't Buddhist practitioners, but mm -hmm. in general. And I um, and I mentioned that, and you, Bob Thurman has talked a lot about these kinds of things, and he's given a different twist to one. And I, I want to just throw this out to both of you, to see if it makes any uh, sense at all. Now, but first we need to um, we need to define dependent origination. Can you give us a a two sentence thing on it? Two sentence only. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, 
it's um, tracking that which arises out of causes and conditions <clears throat> and seeing the uh, arc that is given to our experience by taking those causes and conditions to be solid and real. And um, so we don't see the kind of evolutionary aspect of it, the change. We don't see the changes, mm. <clears throat> which you could call impermanence. That would be one, one key point to understanding it is understanding impermanence mm. that none of those are actually based on anything substantial or permanent. So uh, uh, let me say what I think. Maybe, Duncan, you can say what you think. But uh, what, what I understand, rather, is that uh, we are primordially buddha nature true nature mm -hmm. and we are reacting to the input that comes in the causes and conditions we are reacting and in that reaction we are creating what ultimately is my story my neurosis my habitual patterns etc right. is that is that well just we to finish live with through yeah yeah that we're we're giving it substantial reality to to temporary phenomenon. For, for example, you sneeze, right? It's sort of a simple experience, but then your mind starts working on it. You go, oh, I'm getting the flu. I didn't have a yeah, flu yeah. shot. I never did this. You know, and all of a sudden you have a very elaborate kind of um, narrative going on from a kind of what could be taken to be just a simple experience. You know? Right. And that to me, uh, and now the other thing uh, that Bob talks about uh, in relation to dependent origination is Ignorance is at the basis of it. That's right. Right. But what I loved about what he said was it's it's not ignorance doesn't just mean you don't know something, right? Mm -hmm. I mean that it means wrongly knowing something. <laughs> and that to me is is one of the biggest hooks keeps us hooked into that story because we think we absolutely think we know what the f hell we're talking about. And just to think, one of y'all give it a, a, a simple example of what wrongly knowing would look like. Just some non, non esoteric. Just a what's what what's a, a classic example of wrongly knowing? Um, you see, you see a, a a piece of rope coiled up in the corner of the room, and you think it's a snake. Okay. Okay, but yeah, but worse. I have that's yeah. You could live with that. But worse is um, you. Worse is you see a snake coiled up in the room and you think it's a piece of paper. <laughs> That's very bad. Um, but how about you? How about you? You you walk into a room and you're with uh, various friends and so on, and uh, you see there is something going on, let's say, between a couple. There's yeah. a couple, a married couple, and you see something going on, you get They're a vibe. Love. No, I was thinking more like... <laughs> that wouldn't be the... What party are you going to? Are you going to these kind of parties lately? Your wife is pregnant hey, and everything? If we're making up parties, why does it have to be some boring cocktail party? Like, <laughs> walk in a couple and with a drinking cocktails? Let's, they're making love. All right, and they weren't really making love, okay? You just projected that they were making love. Really, 
they yeah. were having a, a you know a really hot argument and they whatever you got it completely wrong but you thought that you got it right by right. virtue of what was coming into you in that moment which is the same as the rope it was the snake well um, and here's, here's just one other simple example you go to a football game they go into a huddle you're in the stands and you think they're talking about you okay <laughs> that's good. well well that, oh, that's... how about this classic this is one of my favorite examples it's so fascinating it's those cargo cult you know about those ragu the cargo the cult? yeah y'all ever heard of that cargo they're called cargo cults it happened i think it's somewhere in the pacific islands there was during world war ii some airdrops that were happening and some of these airdrops uh landed on uncontacted tribes and within the airdrops were things the tribes had never seen before, like amazing things in these boxes. And so they started repeating what they were doing that day, thinking that they had finally figured out a way to communicate with the gods and cause this kind of manna to fall from heaven. And so they have these rituals based around trying to get another uh, box of supplies to get parachuted out of the sky. But in their version of reality, a box of supplies didn't get parachuted out of the sky. A gift was given to them from the divine. That's mm. a cargo cult. Huh. Wow, I never heard of that. Hold, hold on one second, guys. I'll, keep talking. I'll be right back. Okay. Yeah, it's I never heard of that. Isn't that wild? It's often yeah. used as an example of um, the way that uh, neurosis or superstition starts. Mm. Is mm. that, you know, you're, you, you, you begin to associate one kind of non-impactful uh, variable with a result. You start connecting actions to results when there isn't any connection at all. Right, right. So no that, substance. This produces yeah. like, the, the to use more sports examples, when you see baseball players like rub, like do a weird ritual, when they have some kind of series of movements they do before they swing the bat or whatever, there's like, for some of them, they have this real sense that there's a magical thing happening there and that they need to do these movements so that they can play better. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> I have a great thing. Example, K.K. Shaw, who you guys know is Ram Dass's, you know, old, it's our mentor, Krishnas and I. And uh, he was at my house one day. He was visiting in America. And I'm, I, I love mm -hmm. tennis. So I was watching tennis. And he sat and watched with me just, you know, just to hang. And uh, you guys probably don't know, Rafael Nadal is one of the top two or three tennis players in the world. I used to Each, train him. You what? I used to train him. I was his coach oh, uh, a couple of years uh, ago. Huh. Gee, we haven't played. We'll have to play a little bit. Someday. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyhow, before he strikes the ball, he has an elaborate ritual that he does touching different parts of his body, tugging his shorts, whatever. It's the exact same ritual every time he strikes the ball. So KK's watching this and going, wow, he's like doing puja. <laughs> <laughs> he's some kind of siddha. So through his whole lens, right? I mean, he's obviously just obsessive compulsive as Rafael Nadal, but yeah. KK through his lens of seeing the kind of 
uh, uh, subtle uh, movements that are made, like in you know in puja, there's all sorts of hand movement. You know, there's all sorts of you know mudras and so on. This he was doing mudras, and he got a whole other picture. <clears throat> excuse me, of of who this being was. Yeah. I mean, and of course, it was completely harmless. Now, the, most of the time that we're doing this shit, we are absolutely. Cre- uh, just creating the more support for illusion you know for maya by by thinking that we actually know what's going on mm. well you you're you guys are raising a really interesting point which is uh what's the difference between ritual and superstition mm. wonderful um i think it's isn't it in the uh I mean, I, again, I go back to the our. I, I guess my examples are are so uh, vivid for me from our mentors, but we had a mentor, Casey Tuari, and David, you know quite well because you hear Krishna and I was talking about him all the time and how important he was to him and I, and many others, and he, I, I was never one for ritual myself and when i went to india just even seeing the statues and everything none of it meant i mean at one point it hanuman started to mean something to me and the chalisa and all that but we used to go hang out with him and he would do these pujas for like 10 12 hours straight not move from the place and the uh, uh the what he put into this ritual was so powerful that that whoever he was calling on actually appeared. I mean, you knew that by just being in the vibration in the room. I mean, it was staggering. And he he would go out of his uh, conscious being, his conscious body. He would go into different states of of samadhi. So, to me, <clears throat> ritual su- superstition. I think that it's in the beholder. I think I have a better answer for that, if you don't mind, or not a better answer, an alternate version of that that might isn't quite based on better, the metaphor, eh? but It's based on the difference between people who imagine uh, that when they, um, uh, forgive me, this is a, a sexual example, but uh, they're this couple making love. Let's in the room that we walked That's into. That's all you've talked about since we've gotten on the air here. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> moving. <laughs> versions of the couple making love one version of the couple making love the man thinks that if he were to have an orgasm while penetrating his lover during a full moon there is no possibility of a baby coming that would be uh superstition right that would be superstition uh that would be uh, he would be doing a kind of ritual, I guess you could say, but the ritual would not have the result he was looking for if he was looking for not having a baby. A baby would come regardless of his idea if you know it was uh, if it was uh, if if he was if the conditions were correct in in that situation. Maybe another way to put it that isn't so absolutely ridiculously awful and vulgar and weird would be: imagine if I paint on my wall a picture of a phone charger or of a, of a plug. And then I carve little holes into it. And then I take my phone and I plug it into the holes I carved into the wall. The phone will not charge. This is superstition. I've done everything that looks like it would be a phone charger, but there's no electricity coming out of the wall. A ritual you could say would be taking the phone, putting the charger into the phone and then plugging the phone into the wall. And then the thing is certain to charge. 
that would be a ritual, you could say. This is Aleister Crowley's definition of magic is very simple, which is, is the, 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 the process of that which we will or that thing that you want uh, accomplishing that through action in some way or another. And so maybe that's the difference between ritual and superstition, you know? The difference, it's, 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 it's not magic, it's not metaphysical is what I'm saying. It's just very basic. Uh, one right. creates an authentic change in the world around you, and uh, one doesn't. What about the placebo effect, though? That can create authentic change, too. It, it's considered one of the most powerful effects, uh, but the placebo effect has created change. Uh, for example, like if I sit here and I say, look, check this out, you guys, no more wrinkles, and you're looking at my face and there's still wrinkles on my face, well, then that's, I've made something up. But if I were to suddenly transform into a younger person, something would have happened. So that's the difference. The difference is some people, they do a ritual and they imagine something has changed. And some people, they do a ritual and something actually happens. And there's, I think, probably, um, uh, it's, it's probably a binary. It's just, it isn't either an or, right, you guys? Well, let's take it back to uh, what we're talking about, which is dependent origination, which is ignorance, which is creating uh, a story that we believe uh, we have completely wrong view. And so uh, that's how I take this ritual or superstition. It's about view, right view or wrong view. And uh, uh, so, yeah, Dave. Well, what, what is it, you know, uh, Trunk Rinpoche used to call ignorance ignoring he turned into a verb because uh. in similar way to what uh, what professor thurman was saying that you know there's some kind of active process that's being engaged rather than just a purely passive one uh, you're solidifying something that you know um without sufficient you know evidence but what are you ignoring would be a really interesting question when you talk about ignor ignorance yeah the most so the most there's two kinds of ignorance there's the one that's the fundamental ignorance which is you're just ignoring the nature of reality. You're, you're, you're ignoring the kind of spontaneous, wakeful quality that is imbued in, in this moment right here. You're just not paying attention to it. Then secondarily, there's ignorance as a strategy, which is part of the three clashes like of passion, aggression, and ignorance, where you're actually dulling out something deliberately, strategically, like passive aggression. You know, you're, you're kind of ignoring what somebody's saying, you're ignoring uh, some information, some data coming in about global warming, for example. That's a strategic kind of level of, of, of continuing to substantiate the, the, the kingdom of me that you're talking about. Cool. Those three strategies create mm. the kingdom of me. In a nutshell, those are the three root glaciers. There's passion, which is craving and clinging to things. Um, there's aggression, which is pushing them away. And ignorance is just kind of dulling out. But there's this fundamental ignorance, which is actually the birth of the nidanas or the codependent origination. And the fundamental ignorance is you're just not paying attention to things. Mm. That's right. great. I love I, that. And I, that I, that's, yeah, just not paying attention. I like also that there's, when Trouble says ignoring, there's an action. Like you have to actively ignore. And so right. what I love about that is because think of all the energy that must go into ignoring the entire universe. So much pushing, so much exertion, which is why um, uh, I think many people, when they talk about 
realization, there are words that sometimes fall within that are relax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because and, and by that, that means that ignorance isn't a thing that you can do effortlessly. It takes effort to ignore. And the, the reason you might be tired mm. and exhausted all the time <laughs> is because of that. Just, you inner, haven't even got there yet. Boy, you don't know. You don't know. You're going to. I don't know what. Tired and exhausted all the time is coming to your house. <laughs> okay. Sorry. No, but one one of the kind of creative ways to look at the 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 movie of me is that it is tiring, and people mm. get slowed down, thick, heavy, yeah. and and maybe they try to push their way through that to entertain themselves harder. But the basic quality, I agree with what Duncan is saying, is the basic quality is depleting. And, yeah. and the natural quality is it doesn't seem to be depleting, you know, if, if there's a sense of ease or, or, or uh, uh, you know, staying present, which is what all these people seem to always agree on, that there's a kind of re- rejuvenation. Yeah. Yeah. Look at look at like the animal kingdom. Like how often have you looked at a bird and been like, boy, that bird looks exhausted. Man, that bird just really seems wiped out. I bet that bird must, must be really tired. Your dogs are, you know, the dogs get sleepy. There's a kind of natural quality to them, but they just fall asleep. I've seen, I, I don't know if you've ever had a dog that had puppies. And, and you can see the dog, there is some kind of like um, tiredness there, but it doesn't seem like the quality of tiredness that you see in a neurotic person, which seems very different. And so it's almost as though... Um, that, uh, there's a normal kind of tiredness, the great way you feel after you exercise, a good hard day's work, that nice sense of like, ah, oh, man, my muscles are a little sore. But then there's neurotic exhaustion, which seems mm. to be more related to a kind of ceaseless ignorance. Yeah, and, ceaseless and, ignorance. Yeah. And in the, in the active form. Not, I, I don't like the word ignorance only because it, like, it implies a kind of dumbness or like, you know, yeah. someone's mm. stupid. It seems insulting. I like ignoring way better because it has within it the truth, I think, of why so many people are just just wiped out, man. Um, I think another, just, just to stay on this a little bit, uh, in terms of ignorance, um, we have suffering. So the Buddha found what the cause of it was and what the possibility was to transform it. Uh, But in this ignorance means that what you're engaging with from your perspective is unreal, right? And, And you don't understand its truth in any situation. And that uh, you know, that not knowing uh, or wrongly knowing, which to me is really, uh, you know, we do so much of it. Yeah, I think that's where we got to take in the consideration and that's where mindfulness comes in, right? Mm-hmm. And that's for what you, what uh, David uh, teaches. By the way, David's got some great meditation. When's your next meditation course in L.A.? Since we, it just popped up and we... <clears throat> well, gotta... I'm coming out March 8th to 10th. Wonderful. And Duncan and I are actually doing a joint workshop. Great. So everybody's out in L.A., and this is a a chance to engage yourself into the actual antidote to this ignorance that we're talking about. 
and uh, and understand a little bit more of how everything that's flowing at a coming into us as phenomenon is, uh, is absolutely us reacting creates that uh, that uh, wonderful mixed ingredient of me. Talk so, about that some more, Raghu. I love that idea. Like flowing into us as phenomena. That's a that's that the, that's flowing into us as that's a really interesting thing to say. What and I think the exploration of that would his I love exploring that the idea of like um, what is flowing, where is it flowing from, what's it flowing into. <laughs> Oh, Duncan boy. is training what we call Madhyamaka logic. Yeah, right. You just dissect. Yeah. Just yeah. Go, you know what? Okay, you said this. Let's just break it down. I would love to break that down, though, because yeah. of the flowing thing in particular, because we hear flow all the time. So yeah. this is actually well, but, a multi-million dollar industry. Flow state. If we yeah, can- no, no, we're not talking about flow states. That when oh, I mean I flow is you're walking outside. You're just going for a walk with your dog. Dogs. Okay, and somebody comes by and looks at you and, hi, Duncan. Hello. Somebody who knows you, knows you do podcasts. Yes. And all of a sudden, you filter. Okay, is this something, is this person going to get on me uh, because they want an autograph or do they want something? Or wait, I got to kind of be cool about this. Yes. Because, you know, I, I'm me and me is a good guy and blah, blah, right? All of a sudden, all of these things go up as soon as that input, that, uh, that's what I meant by flow. As soon as that flows into you, whatever right. it may be, sound, sight, arises. smell, Something arises. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So then the reactivity starts first with your mind and then right. it you know can get into other areas so that's what i mean around that but it's really helpful to to see the nature of that reaction you're describing there as being the rgb of it you know the red green and blue of it is passion aggression and ignorance yeah you either go towards it you go away from it or you yeah. or you try to blank it out and that's happening moment after moment after moment and then once you do that you create a need for a reinforced narrative to support that initial impulse what if you're not doing that, what would that look like? Okay, oh. here's what it would look like. If you are, I have a perfect example. Yeah. If if you are not reacting, you are not. You are, you that pure, unadulterated, uh, true nature is just yeah. here. Okay, and and it, it just remember, uh, it's again something from actually from Bob's wife. Uh, they were hanging out somewhere, and somebody said, "You know the Dalai Lama? Does he do miracles and stuff?" Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bob wasn't going to get into that, but uh, his wife said, yes, I've seen tremendous miracle. And uh, he said, oh, great. So he says, I've, I've been in many stress situations with him and there were many people and everybody kind of wanting time with him, as you can imagine, and a piece of him and a lot of things going on. He's doing his, he's representing the Tibetan people and the Dharma and the Buddha and so on. And I've never seen him, she said, in all of those situations ever be with anybody where he didn't give them his complete and full attention. And that's a miracle. Oh, wow. Is that so great? I love that. Yeah. I think she's right. Yeah. No, she's absolutely right. So Duncan, there's a, a beautiful example of 
he, that person would come to his holiness. And I've seen it. We've all seen it. And I, you know, you just see it with him. I once saw him and, and the guy who came put the headset on him, came to put the headset on him. The, you know, I'm talking at the Madison Square Garden. It was 15,000 people. And he completely turned and he, he embraced without touching the guy. He embraced yeah. that guy. You could see it. So that person walking down the street to you that knows you and wants something maybe or just wants to say hi or whatever and mind wouldn't be there. There would be nothing but open. Uh, well, actually, we see it with Ramdas. He does it too. I want to just, talk about Ramdas for a second because this yeah. reminds me of something that I heard from someone who had his darshan, who was a musician and told me something I, I think about all the time. I really love it. He was mm. with Ramdas and he said. They're out and, you know, we give our fans our love and they give us love back. And Ramdas said, okay, let's stop. Wait, wait, T- tell me that again. He said that? He said, the, the musician. The said, musician said, oh, okay. And, you know, and it was wonderful. It was a wonderful I, I thought, which is like, when I am performing, I am giving my love. In this case, when the Dalai Lama is here, he is giving his attention. And they, well, well you, I'm giving my love. And then the fans, they give me the love back. And this this produces some kind of crazy feedback loop uh in this sort of weird love engine that is created in the concept of the giving of love and the receiving of love but what ramdas said to him is well you know that's your ego because Mm -hmm. you can give love uh and and the reality of the situation might be this true also with attention because if now if i can give attention so if someone was to say oh look at this miracle that dalai lama did he gave he gives his attention then we have this sort of reservoir of attention that is being given and uh never depleted so it's almost as though this is a this man in his ability to give attention is miraculous but what if there's no difference between the dalai lama and a tree in the sense that with when i'm with a tree the tree is not giving me the tree's attention the tree is just the tree absolutely and that's so and the, so absolutely. in that saying of giving a, attention it feels That's, to me like there's more of a reflection of the perceiver of the miracle than a miracle in yes. the sense that maybe you don't have to give attention because you are fundamentally attent. You are fun. Yeah, right. And it, <laughs> you, yeah. And there's no doing. He's not doing. Well, Dalai can we, can we add a doing. few more like attributes then maybe to, mm-hmm. to the, yes, uh, the um, kind of projected, of course, we're projecting what we think the Dalai Lama is experiencing to some extent or <clears throat> what the nature of that is. But there are things said about it. So it is safe to say he's doing nothing, which is, I think, what the, the tree analogy gives us. It's not there's not a kind of like um, um, conscious attempt to give attention. It's just yep. more natural unfolding of attention. Then there is uh, a natural flow of compassionate energy, which is means that you there's a non-dual connection between him and the other person so that there's is there's not an artificial feeling of I'm giving you my compassion even, but the compassion flows. Um, and so he's doing nothing. There's a flow of compassion, but there's a, a, yet one more thing, which is a flow of skillful means, which means naturally arising, which can also be cultivated. He knows what to cultivate and what to destroy in a, in a communication. Mm. So there's mm. a, a the four karmas there is like a pacifying, enriching, magnetizing, and destroying. And those for a kind of enlightened type of being, those arise naturally in the flow of communication. For us, we can give it a little bit of a push. You know, sometimes you can go, 
maybe I could, you know, dial myself down here a little bit and listen to what this other person's saying, for example. Mm. So it can be both a relative and an absolute kind of quality. And then finally, finally, the last gateway, it's mirror-like. In other words, who knows what you're seeing? I, I still, to this day, Trungpa Rinpoche, I'm not sure he was ever actually there. That's my, that's my last kind of final, rather than giving him all the qualities, it was a very mirror-like experience. It, it, there's something, when somebody is less active, naturally attentive, flowing compassion, naturally rising skillful means, it's almost like you're bouncing off it and getting very accurate feedback <clears throat> effortlessly. So yeah. there's that. My, my version of that is, yeah. it was like a, uh, with Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba, oh, seemed like a computer. It was just doing what the right thing to do for everybody. There was nothing yeah. on its yeah. own that it needed or anything. It just, it right. wasn't, it, it was just like that. Yeah. So the same skillful kind of me, The thing. natural arising skillful yeah. means. But yeah. the interesting thing is you can also um, see those as relatively arising phenomenon, right? Compassion. We practice compassion. We practice skillful means. We practice uh, awareness. So the idea that those are the most natural state also means you can um, cultivate without an insane amount of effort, but you know, it's gentle effort. The, you can assimilate those until you, you fake it till you make it. You know? Yeah, you know, cultivate. Okay, that's our byword right here. Mm -hmm. And everybody, and, and we're sharing with everybody, mm -hmm. uh, w that's all we know. W there is nothing else that we can do uh, except cultivate mm -hmm. uh, in terms of when we start thinking about, okay, we see how we are so uh, wrapped up in the ignorance of not knowing reality and the ignorance of thinking we do. Okay, what are we going to do? And mm -hmm. so you, these, and, and I, that's why I love Krishnadas's thing, by the way, without these beings who show us the way, in your case, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, by the way, if you've not heard uh, that name before any anybody listening here I would highly recommend that you get some of his books uh, they are uh, so clear uh, and s uh, some of the best uh, elucidations in uh, English uh, in, or Western psychology uh, of of, of uh, Tibetan uh, Buddhism. It's just phenomenal. So Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, we're going to put links up. I mean, we talk about him all the time, but you, you, uh, I, I emphasize this. Now, this is David's teacher, and he spent some great time with him uh, back in the day. I spent a little alongside of some of our other friends. Um, but without these, uh, uh, what would we be without these teachers, Dave? Where would Guitar, we be? Guitar player. Guitar player, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he, and you do pretty well at that, so, you know, I, what the I hell. didn't learn that from him. That's <laughs> yes, great. I could have taught him about that. Yeah. The, um, the, the one thing David has pointed out to me that I really like quite a, a lot is, uh, some, is, is the earth, not forgetting about the earth and, then, and, 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 and the natural world. And <clears throat> I... I'm reminded in this conversation, I, I, I'm so lucky to have you, you guys are my teachers, and I'm so lucky that you guys had wonderful teachers. <clears throat> um, but I, it, it makes me think of when you're talking about these teachers and these great beings, it's so easy for people to just forget about the earth and the trees and what you're talking about. So for example, like I remember once, this is such a mundane example compared to being at the feet of Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche or Neem Kroli Baba, but 
inner tubing, like you ever go inner tubing and you're on a, a river and, and you're, you, if you just notice for a second how with zero effort, the river does exactly the right thing to push your inner tube down the river, mm. you see that this quality is actually in a river. And then you see that the quality that many people are reporting in from humans that are awakened is, is already in the world everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I really like that a lot. Now, some, someone has to be able to talk to the river, I guess, and those would be the awakened beings so that they could give words to, to the river. But I think it is important to realize that we have this, these teachers are um, not just in, inside of people, though that's, we need the people. Thank God for the people. Mm-hmm. It would be terrible without it. That's what I mean. This natural thing that you say is a computer, Raghu, which is a very modern way to say it. The came tree is a river is a tree, tree is yeah. wind yeah. is yeah. and and then and and this is the in one of the great books that I'm reading now that uh, David recommended the warriors was it Shambhala the warriors path the Shambhala the sacred path of the warrior this is a great book and mm. and he talks about how it's Trungpa Rinpoche's book Trungpa Rinpoche and so. Yeah. Um, he t- so because not all of us are so lucky. I didn't run into Trump or Rinpoche. I didn't run into Neem Karoli Baba. So uh, and, and I love that Trump or Rinpoche says, "Well, look at the look at a color. Look at a nice shade of red. Look how look at that. Look at how perfect that is. That is perfect. Just that the color, or maybe the gentle. For me, you know, I have a sun coming, and 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 so I." I, not to be cheesy, but but I'll like sometimes I kiss my wife's neck, and I say I love. Oh, we're you. back to that again. Okay, this is good. <laughs> but in that in that tenderness, something something happens in that tenderness. There's a, a moment of tenderness that is not me and not her. It's just this thing that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and that thing, that thing, is everything and some people become that i guess completely yeah yeah and it's back to cultivate it's back to being aware of those moments it's back to being aware of the going down in an inner tube down a river it's it's back to just walking through a forest Uh, these are really easy ways to connect into the natural uh, being to natural being, I guess is one way to put it. Um, I want to. Uh, so is a kidney stone. Yeah. Oh, Jesus! Poor Dave had a kidney stone. stone. No, no, but the point is that it's not always uh, whimsical or pastoral. Reality yeah. has reality has teeth. Yeah. Yes. You know. So yeah. a kidney stone—that's powerful. That's if you really want to understand, like any kind of approach to awakened mind, you have to include kidney stone reality, yes. stroke reality. <laughs> Yeah. prostate cancer reality old age sickness and death reality yeah. so th- those things are you know and also somebody insulting you and also um horrible leadership and um you know the whole thing is a is a is a diorama of, of yeah. being attentive to the whole thing rather than developing a bias you know yeah. oh you mean like yeah well like the bias of thinking you got to go to some guru out in the forest or you know like the, the bias of thinking you've got to go to this person or that person it's like uh, like i think that there is a lot of convenience in imagining that there are localized moats 
of enlightenment that you have to make a journey to, to sit at the feet of, because it would be unbearable if you realize that your kidney stone was your guru. It's for some people, <laughs> it's just they don't want it because they want to procrastinate it. They don't want to deal with it. They want to put it off. So it's like, no, the kidney stone, not guru. The president, not guru. The, the, the cancer, not guru. The mom die, not guru. The dad die, not guru. Guru here, guru there. And then when, with that kind of ignorance, <laughs> sorted with the terrifying realization that you're always with the guru. Whether you like it or not, you can't get away. But the guru is so polite, sometimes he looks like a kidney stone. And you don't know. <laughs> You don't you don't have to deal with that. You know what I'm saying? I think for many of us, that's a really pleasant thing to imagine that we need to go somewhere where we're not sitting. Well, you you can't go anywhere. And boy, you're a good example of it. You were just sitting around uh, playing video games and smoking pot, whatever. I don't know what you were doing. And then you had the idea. Shit, I think I'll I think I'll call Ram Dass mm. and have a chat with him. Oh, yeah, that really was your idea. I mean, and David's sitting around. I, I'm not quite sure. We, we did a podcast. I'm sure David told us exactly how he met Trump or how all of this happened. We each had a moment that was nature. It was natural. It was absolutely what was supposed to happen, which leads me to the next, because I do want to get this in. Because uh, we talked about, we've just talked about dependent origination, origination, and the ignorance and the uh, not being able to see clearly by any means, and there. So that's one major Tibetan, uh, Tibetan Buddhist or Buddhist rather, um, uh, uh, important teaching, and then emptiness. Okay, we'll read you a little bit about Bob uh, from Bob. Uh, he says. Uh, it's a, there's a verse in the Samadhi Raja Sutra, which I didn't know, King of Concentration Sutra, Field Concentration Samadhi, which is, who understands karma, cause and effect, will understand emptiness, which is not nothingness. Emptiness is relativity. Who understands ep emptiness and relativity becomes attentive to the tiniest little details that's non-duality and he says because we were sitting with Ramdas, he says you know non-duality the soul being <laughs> great but yeah let that common talk a little david about the common uh, misconception around emptiness is nothing ness yeah been talking a lot about that lately yeah <clears throat> well first the the sanskrit word is shinyata right which is um you know, been translated into em emptiness. So in other traditions, it was translated differently. Like I've heard that in Chinese, it was translated as to something that would, would, uh, would roughly be in English, the great expanse, which is a very different kind of connotation. Yeah, right? really. So, um, and then there's tatata, which is suchness, just things the way they actually are, which is already emptiness because it's empty of something. So this is the thing to make it very simple for people. When you say empty, it's empty of something. It's a relative term. There's no absolute emptiness. If you if uh, you would say ta ta ta, if it was if you were speaking absolute terms, it just is what it is. But it's empty of what? What is it empty of? And there's three things called the three ignorances, which is very helpful to understand. It's empty of permanent existence, 
right? It doesn't have permanence. That's that's one of the things. So if you if you describing some phenomena, it's not you, you, and you say it's empty. It means it's empty of permanence. It's empty of a um, um, independent existence. In other words, it exists interdependently. So if you talk about you or me, we obviously have some sort of sense of independent existence, but not really because the glasses that you're wearing came from your eye doctor. And, you know, and right now, probably there's different parts of your body that have been replaced or, you know, uh, you ate lunch this afternoon, you know, everything's moving and changing. So you don't exist independently. There's no ragu that we can find separately from that interdependent existence. And then the third one is you, it has no substantial or singular existence. So that's interesting. In other words, you think it exists unto itself and indivisibly so. So like if we look at ragu again and say, is ragu exists substantially, you say, well, there's like 30% of his body weight is flora and fauna and his, and his, you know, other organisms entirely, right? So and you try to boil it down to the ragu-ness or the ragu self-identified thing, you can't find it. So those, it's empty of those three things. Once you've emptied those out, you don't need Shunyata anymore. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you, if you're not established, trying to establish a base camp for those kind of ways of looking at things, you would be more into suchness, and that's where sort of Buddhist Tantra comes into play. You start describing arising phenomena as having other qualities like luminosity, um, like clarity, like vividness. Um, you know, you wouldn't need to keep emptying it out. You're emptying it out of something that's a false idea. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, is it too technical, or does that make sense? No, that makes sense. But I think I'd like to go back to a little bit to emptiness uh, related to... Um, what we're talking about mini right. me yeah me would empty. be empty you'd be me empty would of me. Be ragu empty. is empty of me basically if yeah you really ragu. look at it you can't find it okay well stop picking on me what about that <laughs> other guy duncan he's got a lot more no, i've got lots like. of me i'm filled up yeah duncan's <laughs> full of me so <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. so um but here's another thing from uh so the correction is not to think you don't <laughs> exist that's a mistake okay that is a big mistake. Emptiness doesn't mean that. Emptiness means you are empty of any non-relational element, which is what I believe yeah, you were just saying. Right. Yeah, interdependent. That means you are totally... Bob said that? Yeah, you are yeah. totally interrelated with everybody right. else. Can we talk for a moment just about what you just said? Right. Uh, it's a mistake to think you exist. Well, wait a minute. Can I say one thing about that, too? I mean, look, I'm here in a way, in a way as a sort of in my ridiculously scholarly apparition, which most people who know me know that's not my main form of expression, but we have to include some of these ideas to really talk about this accurately. And one is absolute and relative truth. So we would say relatively, uh, Duncan does exist actually as a relative phenomenon. It would be a mistake to say he doesn't exist at all. Um, he, he exists in a relative. So if you take those three things, he's, he exists impermanently he exists interdependently with other phenomena, and he exists, uh, you know, in a non-substantial way, but in a kind of evolving permeation of things. Yeah. So Duncan does exist in a relative sense. In an absolute sense, Duncan does not exist at all. Literally. There is no Duncan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you land on either side of the fence there. You're probably, you're probably making a mistake. If you're puffing <laughs> around all existing and everything, well, you know. That's you- right. You're making a little bit of a mistake, and then if you're going around puffing around that you don't exist, get get out of here. <laughs> you put a cigarette out on your hand. 
I think you exist <laughs> when you feel the burn. So it's like, so that whole thing, people always, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine or this uh, comedian some time ago. And, and, and sometimes you get around the like hardcore nihilists and they have mm. this like really fascinating, like uh, aggression behind their ghost story. They're, they're, mm. they're puffing out because they're actually terrified to be annihilated. So they like, or they 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 don't want to die. They don't want to not exist. So they right. have this real hardcore not wanting to exist thing behind it. But because they bear the heartbreak, they uh, begin to subscribe to this non-existent philosophy that manifests as like this like what Richard Dawkins said, which is so funny. Which is death is the anesthesia that saves you from the pain of life. <laughs> it's so cool. But he says it with this like, ah, ah there's nothing to do with it. Oh, and there's nothing to die. You just die. Ah. It's gone, <laughs> nothing, not even a nothing, nothing. So it's really cool when that, of course, is heaven. When someone proposes that, there's, they're basically saying the same thing as someone who's like, well, if you're a good person when you die, there's streets of gold and they've got fast Wi-Fi in heaven and you're up there with your family just dancing and doing a jig. Yeah. And it's like, and, and, and except, except the annihilatory version of that is, it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. Bam! Oblivion! Nothing! Nothing! That's you're gone forever! Nothing! And that is like even better heaven than the, doing the jigs with the family because now you've got this perfect nirvanic nothing. It's essentially saying all you have to do to get enlightened is hang yourself. Bingo! Bam! You're there. It's <laughs> awesome. And this, I think, that's, you know, that's, a, 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 I think, a very beautiful thing that people imagine that there is the possibility of realization upon the extinguishment of the human body. But I, I think when well, people say that, you have to give them bad news. Which well, is that, so that very is a perfect, bad. folksy, elaborated exposition of the two wrong views, because, uh, Raghu, you're talking about view, which is really important, of yeah. nihilism and eternalism. Yeah. Uh, Duncan just gave a Buddhist sermon on nihilism <laughs> and <you>. eternalism. <laughs> Reverend the Reverend Dunk. <laughs> the Great. Reverend Dunk is back. All right, wait, I'm going to bring it back because... Yeah. We we keep going out into absolutism and relative right, blah, right, blah, right. Blah, 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 and it's not I, I need to bring it back to something that's gonna help us in our day to day moment. And I, I, I'm gonna bring up another thing Professor Thurman uh, mentioned uh, that this is really uh, I jive with this more than anything else. Mm. I think it's the most useful thing. And um Emptiness is the knowledge of slipperiness. Mm -hmm. Everything is empty of being stuck in anything. There's no, everything that is only relational. All relational things such as ourselves, body, speech, and mind are empty of any non-relational component. And that doesn't, we mean we don't have magnificent enlightened experiences that feel like an absolute but it means that even they are not but i love this this beautiful analogy of slipperiness mm -hmm. because on a day-to-day -day, that's mm -hmm. we are sticking to everything sticking to thoughts emotions blah blah everything the whole thing of dependent origination we are going for it everything that comes sliding into us we're grabbing onto it so this, to me, is the most gigantic, practical antidote, if you can think about it, is empty of being stuck in anything. I mean, well, what let's, do you think? Let's give a very simple English, grounded, 
way of saying that. Don't take yourself so seriously. How about that? Right. That's I mean, good. Aren't there a lot of people you would like to say that to, including ourselves? <laughs> yeah. We yeah. just said it we, yeah. before we got on. You and I were talking just that without a sense of humor. We're yeah. pretty doomed. It's what Ramdas has represented in in what he has given people all these decades is having a, a sense of humor about your predicament. That to me is the one of the big openings that you can make to just allowing you know, a shift in perspective, right? I, I saw this video on YouTube last night to uh, illustrate this point. Mm. Man, I went down the best rabbit hole. Started with Uber drivers kicking people out of their cars, which there's a whole genre now of that. And it, oh, really? it ended. <laughs> what the hell? Oh, watch. It's so, it's so amazing to watch because it's just amazing because you just see there, if you want to talk about a great mirror and a good reason to practice. Oh my God. If you want to look at a good reason to practice, watch uber drivers kicking people out of their car and because you see someone who's lost <laughs> kind of it's, a, it's like the sequel to the jerry seinfeld series what is that oh, oh a coffee comedians going for coffee, coffee. Oh, uh, in cars. Way, <laughs> way funnier i'll say this way funnier than the seinfeld series is right. to watch someone in the who is is in the back seat of an uber yeah drunk and is the <laughs> is being a jerk and the uber driver's like you just got to get out of my car and the person takes on the attitude of someone like a soldier on a hill in a war, the last soldier on a hill in some war fight about to be just going down and just a heroic blaze of bullets. In their mind, they're somehow standing up for the great justice of the universe somehow. They're representing everything that's right because they feel that to be kicked out of the Uber is not okay. There's been a myth. They have to pay a $5 cancellation fee. And that is not acceptable. <laughs> so they choose in that moment to enter into like an, an epic battle against all that is imbalanced in the universe. And it is one of the most pathetic, tragic, hilarious, sad things to watch a, 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 a puffed up drunk trying to save $5 it, while an Uber driver <laughs> generally also reacts as mm. though they were the forces of you, because many of these Uber drivers, they've been having to deal with this and they start popping. So the Uber driver will be screaming, just get out of my car. <laughs> yeah. And the drunk person is like, you don't need to yell at me. You don't need <laughs> yeah. to yell at me. I'm not. So what I'm saying is in this moment, there is a fix, fixation on the idea of what is right and on winning some ridiculous battle. And there is such self-seriousness in the face of the most absurd and embarrassing situation. How simple to get out of the car and just call another Uber. How simple, how simple to just say, oh, even if you're right, even if the Uber driver is wrong and you're right, how simple, like, okay, sorry, and get out of the car. But because they're so stuck in this idea of what must be, oh my God, it's so painful for them and so painful for the Uber driver. And you see within that, the agony of the world can manifesting in that self-importance, you know? And I think that that is a, a, so painful. It's so painful to not, to take yourself so seriously. Be mm. right. The next mm. time you're right, one thing mm. I, 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 you should look forward to, look forward to the next time you're absolutely right and the person you're sitting with is absolutely wrong. Look forward to this moment because this is a chance for like a great practice I've noticed, which is like, God, 
You are so right. You can really drive the blade right in. You're so right. You have every right to do the execution. You have every right to do whatever the thing is, to say the cutting word. You're so right. But go to the bathroom before you cut. And as you're pissing out your kidney stone or whatever, just look and think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to go back and be completely wrong here and see what happens. See what happens. Does the world end? Does everything collapse in flames? Just watch. It's the most beautiful moment when you're like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And me, it's so wonderful. You let go of this huge thing. Sorry, I did another sermon. You gave another exposition on a Lojong slogan, which is a Mahayana training slogan drive all blames into oneself. This is great. Uh, I think this is how we should do. We should have Duncan's commentary on, on, on the, uh, on Lojong, you know, mind training, <laughs> passion, mind training. And then just, he raps on it for like, you know, for a bit, but yeah. that's the ideas of drive all blames into one. It's like, that's take, so take the blame and it's transformative. It's cultivation. So beautiful. Absolutely. More cultivation, our byword for this chat. The, yeah, Absolutely. That's a good word. Yes. Yeah. You could think of the blame as the rain and you are the field. And if if it and there's been a bit of a drought, and if some blame starts coming your way, just be so grateful because all of that is going to come pouring into this wonderful field, and it's going to grow the most incredible flowers that you never thought you could grow. Think of a field that was dead for a really long time, but it had something in it, and it it had just basically given up the the idea that there, and then suddenly little flowers start growing in the field. Wow, that would be a miracle. That would be a miracle for the field. And if blame is all you need to, to, to grow those flowers, well, then we are in paradise. <laughs> the uh, last but not least here in terms of uh, a little bit of an antidote to the disease, the diseases that we are talking about uh, is uh, compassion. And we go back to His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, who is absolutely the em- emblem and that the, the natural of his full-on attention uh, with anybody who is in front of him uh, is, is an extraordinary miracle as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, and, and that kind of compassion is, um, to me, it's an emblem of selflessness um, that mm. you just stop. Th- you're not thinking about yourself now in the relative we you, rel, to me his holiness is in the and this is a, a a little bit of different from what you were talking about when we talk about absoluteness and relativeness but to me he's not thinking his holiness is not thinking it is just being he's being with that person and giving full attention um but w- us little guys can cultivate this idea of compassion and we in in the doing so we start to lose it's we as bob said we get slippery and we're not attaching ourselves to stuff and in the doing of it that uh, mini me starts to fade into the background and that's why i think uh develop i don't know what you uh, i haven't been with you lately david uh in terms of your talking about compassion as a real tool to um uh, to cultivate uh especially in terms of uh of, of getting into the perspective uh, ramdas calls it loving awareness you would call it true nature whatever 
Yeah, well, just um, that there's some, again, cultivation or method involved. I mean, that's the Buddhist approach. So if you, as you were saying that, I was thinking of asking you, what do you really, really think is the difference between yourself and the Dalai Lama? What's the difference? You're, he's a big guy, you're a little guy, as I got that out of, out of part of what you said, but... I didn't you, say little guy, big guy. Yes, you did. Oh, what's little guys? You know, there's that great Steely Dan song. Uh, it's the Bodhisattva. I don't know if it's from that one, but uh, till the sidewalks are safe for the little guys, <laughs> right? That's the Bodhisattva. But we but are not know, going. But you're, you're, no, I mean, yeah. I'm not. I don't think in those kind of terms. Actually, of uh, I, I mean, of uh, being around him is the to me is divine presence, and it's just being with that presence and that presence. I am that presence i am part, it's not a separate thing like when we're in that yeah. thing together if i'm hanging with any of us any in the moment that i'm sitting down on the floor and you're up there with uh, krishnas and and the, the the kirtan gets into a a point of where there's no self reference yeah. okay when we are just in that presence and that's more of what what I feel as far as. But if you uh, if, if you do enter Raghu, the world of the the real world of the Dalai Lama is a Buddhist world mm -hmm. of tremendous amount of method and practices related to the cultivation of compassion. Yeah, which he has done extensively in his lifetime and probably previous lifetimes. And so when I see something that I go, I. I of course, you can just jump the shark and say, let's just merge into that space. And that's, you know, more the bhakti. Um, yeah, that's more the more bhakti kind of yeah. approach. Yeah. But you can also look and say, what method is being offered for me to cultivate, even to that degree, even in this very lifetime, the potential for me to express that level of compassion as well. And it's lojang. It's, it's, there's endless methods in Mahayana training, and um, they're relative. That's the important point. They they work in the relative sense of me as a sort of entity that is something you can cultivate strength yeah. in. They don't just go straight to the absolute. They say, you know what? When the next time somebody is yelling at you in Uber, you could be more generous, and you could actually practice generosity. It's yeah. There's endless yeah. technology, and it could feel technical to people, but if you're talking about the Dalai Lama, that's how he did it. That's yeah. what he's recommending. So but I'll also say he came in and he didn't. Uh, uh, he definitely cultivated this tr these tremendous practices and so on. But there's another aspect that I believe is just as true that he came in with. You know, well, he's the 14th Dalai Lama, so he he's came like some in. kind of karmic trust fund kid from that. Yeah, paradigm. exactly. Yeah, uh, exactly. Something that, like that. That's right. That's you know. But I personally make a point of not seeing. When I meet people like that, I watch carefully. What are they doing? How they get there? Mm. Can, how can I emulate that? How how can I use that as an example? And you know, having seen so many great lamas, the thing that is most impressive is the compassion element. When you mm. see the thing you said, and that's the same thing Maharaji has. I'm loving everybody, and you know what? Even if I'm feeling a little grouchy, like what Ramdas says, I'm going to try. Yeah. I'm what gonna, is? Yeah. I'm going to try. That's the beauty. Is, is cultivation the right word to use for it, or is excavation a better word? <laughs> In your case, excavation would probably be more right on. But most of us are going to use cultivation. <laughs> There's an excavation and cultivation, really. 
Well, I know there's a big difference. <laughs> you don't you don't cultivate, for example, yeah. you you don't you don't you don't you don't cultivate gold. That's you right. excavate gold. Yeah. And 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 I and I think that sometimes the idea of cultivation, though it, the word right. thrown around all the time, it can be really quite confusing. And 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 uh, um, I wonder sometimes about that because it, it does right. seem that the concept here is emptiness. It's really interesting. It's an interesting form of, of excavation because in this case we're excavating emptiness, and 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 that's a funny thing to be mining for, but. Um, the 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 I, the idea that there is uh, an excavation happening to me it kind of makes a little bit more sense and 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 than the cultivation thing because the cultivation thing implies this like you're you're growing shit and I know I did some flowery field thing just before but I do think <laughs> there's something to be said for the idea of excavation excavation and this practice uh-huh. of meditation seems to be more of a when I'm meditating, there there seems to be more of an excavation that is happening than a right. cultivation. It seems like the thing that is happening through this process was always there. But the cultivation, get rid of that word. I mean, it's just get another Buddhist term. You know, yeah, we can get rid of cultivation. How about we just say it like we're trying to find shit that we can practice that excavate ourselves from that gigantic attachment to mini-me our story that's let's start there that's the most practical kind of way to say it no you know what it makes me think of when those when you see an earthquake and it's this beautiful sad simultaneously tragic but also quite beautiful when people come out and they start pulling the uh concrete away from the building uh with all this intensity and passion imagine uh if if there was an earthquake and and i pray that this never happens but the dalai lama was in underneath all that rubble and you and and just think of just how important it would be to dig the Dalai Lama out of that rubble. Now imagine that you're the rubble. Where do you come up with these ideas? I mean, where do they come from? David. Jesus. Okay. They live somewhere in inside of that. That's what I meant when I said pick yeah. on him. He's got a complex variety of me's going on. Yeah. Well, I, I anyhow, last kind of maybe last thing to just say about this is Abraham Lincoln mm. quote. So for my, the new book I have coming out this fall, creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. I'm quoting somebody at the wait. beginning of the chapter. Wait, wait, what book? I have a new book that I finished that's coming out in October called creativity. Ne- in 2019. That's right. Okay. Creativity, Cre- spirituality, and making a buck. It's sort of a practical guide. Wow. Yeah. How cool. But so each chapter has a quote from a manifesto. So here's Abraham Lincoln, who you might never have thought of as a guru before this. But he said, if I have six hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the first four hours sharpening the axe. Ah, that's great. That's it. Okay. That's a closer, Dave. And that's Duncan is is a is an axe sharpener. That's his. Uh, that's we we playfully gave him a nickname of you know blazing Vajra sword, because <laughs> Prajna sword because he's likes to look through and distinguish between yeah. things. It's it's very valuable because you can clarify the meaning by digging in that way by sharpening the sword. So that's one way, and the other way is the devotion. Those, to me, those yeah. are the only two real paths I know is prajna and devotion. Those yeah. two: sharpening yeah. the prajna and opening the heart. Yeah. 
and between all, between us, we have all of it going on. Yeah, we. This is it. We got our, it all. Our we got it all going on. Of of, of 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 Dharma. It's so beautiful in a way that we're all yeah. together. It's very yeah. Special. No, it, it really is so great. So great. I thank you guys for hanging out here with me and uh, just us being able to do. You know, forget everything else. Just wow, we can sit here and do this. Otherwise, I'd be out um, wondering. God, it's snowing here. <laughs> My Lord, <laughs> what am I to do? Uh, so um, we're going to have uh, uh, David's um, weekend in March. We're going to have links. Dave, you're going to send me link yeah, to that. With, with so, David and Duncan together. David and Duncan together. We like, we like, for whatever reason, could, we like chatting like this we, yeah no, no. I, mean, I love so, it uh, yeah and I, I, I'll try I would love to try and get out there I'll try and get out there that would be uh, amazing Roger yeah and um, then there's also a mindfulness meditation teacher training program at the same place which is Samarasa Center in, in Echo Park LA that's going hmm. June to to um, October alright well so we'll get guys the, guys in LA, you know and if you're yeah. in LA such a great teacher such a great teacher I'm so lucky Raghu you this is your fault Raghu this is all the many great things in my life but you connected me with david and then i i started working with him as as a yeah it's so great teacher and it's so wonderful and so yeah. if you guys definitely go to his his courses there david are- do you think in march you could uh i think ordaining duncan in march reverend dunk but if you could do a that. public ordination then though well listen be- one of my friends asked me this is it duncan Trussell or Drunken Tussle? <laughs> Ouch. Okay. So talking about co-emergent wisdom. There you have it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next time on Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. And uh, Dave, we need more a couple of talks from you to get up on the network, too. Yeah. So please record what you're doing so we can okay. do that. Okay. okay. We love you, Raghu. Really, you're doing love a great job at bringing people Thank together. You. It's so, so terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Duncan. Thanks, Good chatting. Have a great afternoon. Bye. Um, um. Ram, ram. <laughs>